I don't care how spiritual you are, how many PhDs you have or degrees you got. I, I think what matters is, you know, just really, again, discerning what the spirit is doing amongst you. You know, it doesn't have to be the, the pastor or this spiritual giant in your church or a leader. Actually, God can speak to anyone or through anyone. Welcome to a One Life podcast. One Life, as you may or may not know, is a grassroots learning collective made up of equippers serving classes BC, Northwest, and Southeast in the Christian Reformed Church. By providing events and resources centered around the five foundational callings of the church worship, faith formation, servant leadership, global mission, justice, and mercy. Our calling for this week is Global Mission, which is curated by Liz Tolkamp. And Liz found me Moses Chung, the Mission Innovation Director of Resonate, who recently published a book. We had a wonderful chat. It was such a deep and far-reaching conversation about mission, but not just about mission globally, but how mission globally includes our own backyard and the stories from Philadelphia and from local Christian Reformed churches in North America that have moved Moses to write this book. And it was a really wonderful and I hope equipping time uh, for you, uh, dear listener, as you enter in to our conversation. Here's Moses. Welcome again. Uh, I'm here uh, joined by Moses Chung. Uh, Moses is the director of the Mission Innovation Team at Resonate. Uh, in addition to a number of other things, you've recently published a book. So we'll probably be dabbling into all of those topics. Um, and it's just, it's wonderful to have you, Moses. Thank you for being on the show. Well, it's just delighted to be here. Thanks, Eric. Yeah. So just to catch our listeners up to speed, Moses and I actually just had, we're, we're at New West Christian Reformed Church. That's the, the podcast studio is a mobile podcast studio. So often we're in different places all the time. And this latest episode is coming to you from New West Christian Reformed Church uh, in New Westminster, BC. And we just had lunch with uh, the lead pastor and the associate pastor here. Uh, wonderful far-ranging conversation. And actually, the funny thing is, I, I just thought before I set this up, I wanted to pick up on something you said over lunch. We were talking about cross-cultural ministry, and you had mentioned something just in passing that uh, often cross-cultural ministry starts with food. <laughs> Starts with food. You say, we want to get to the deep stuff, but if the first place is, you know, you're eating this and I'm eating this, you know, um, um, that's often where it starts. And I thought that was so interesting because we had just had lunch together and this natural conversation about cross-cultural ministry started to flow. So I wonder if you have thoughts on food and cross-cultural ministry. Oh, food and <laughs> cross-cultural. Yeah. Yeah. I think food has... it had, Across cultural ministry, or I think you know, ministry in general, or life mm. in general, food has is has a lot to do with uh, our life uh, and our ministry. Um, I mean, if you want to go to the uh, to Jesus and <laughs> to the to the scripture, uh, the whole uh, Jesus dining with 
all kinds of people. Uh, you you see a lot of yeah instances where uh, with his disciples, especially intimate moments, uh, but also uh, showing up at somebody's dinner. Uh, you know, a boy bringing lunchbox uh, to do a miracle for Jesus to do something with. So there's a lot of food in the Bible, and I, I find. Meals, uh, sharing meals together is such a foundational uh, practice uh, that's beyond just eating. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's everything, you know, you, you need food to sustain yourself, but it's really what food brings people together across uh, the table. Uh, I think it's the most intimate uh, and actually most natural uh, place where uh, relationship can happen. Uh, we're ta just talking about friendship. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so central uh, to our faith and to our discipleship. Oh, that, that's already so wonderful. Thank you for, for, for just jumping in with that, with that question. Cause yeah, it was just, it was wonderful to just break bread together earlier. Mm -hmm. I feel like I know you a little bit better now and you're right. It's all throughout the gospel, isn't it? So it was wonderful that we got to kick off this episode with, <laughs> with eating. Um, and we'll probably come back around to that mm -hmm. food and friendship, mm -hmm. but let's, let's now jump into a little bit about your story. I just want to start getting to know you a little bit, um, very briefly, your, your journey here, um, to the Christian Reformed Church to resonate a global mission organization. Um, but how, how did you get here? Yeah, However so, you want to tell that. Yeah, so just a quick thumbnail would be like, I was born in South Korea, in Incheon, a city called Incheon, near Seoul, the capital. And I immigrated to uh, the United States, uh, to California, uh, out of all places, uh, Anaheim. The happiest place on earth <laughs> because Disneyland is there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> so I went to public high school there. From there, I went to school in uh, schools in Michigan, and uh, yeah, I served uh, Christian Reformed Church uh, in uh, in Southern California after seminary. Uh, this place called Bellflower, um, and I planted a church there. I served the congregation in Korea. And then that's where I uh, got a call to uh, home missions. Used to be home missions uh, so as, as their executive director. That was 11, 12 years ago already. And then as uh, we became Resonate, uh, merging home missions and world missions, about five, six years ago, I took a role within uh, the agency as a mission innovation director. So tell me about that name, Mission Innovation. We were talking a little bit beforehand, and you specifically wanted to point out it's not mission and innovation; it's mission innovation team. So tell me, tell me a little bit about that term and the importance of that term. What that means? Yeah. So the mission innovation uh, was uh, formed out of uh, merger, actually, of home missions, world missions. We have um, regional teams, regional presence, actually, fourteen regions uh, globally. So there are six in North America and uh, eight around the world. And so that's really the uh, program structure of our mission agency. And uh, mission innovation team is uh, also part of the program uh, team that does actually, in our mandate, uh, build capacity around our priorities uh, and uh, actually do innovation or um, more R&D type of work. So, um, what's R and D? Uh, research and development. Okay. 
Gotcha. So the ca capacity uh, of you know, the, the work of our team and actually in the Christian Reform Church around mission as a mission agency. So we have four of those priorities around uh, equipping young adults, um, mobilizing congregations for gospel witness. We have one uh, uh, ministering among uh, diaspora and ethnic minority communities and, and church planting. So those are four priori uh, priorities of Resonate. And we have a team of people who are actually supporting and resourcing, connecting, catalyzing connections and movements within those four uh, among our staff and, and with congregations and partners. So, uh, so that's the capacity building piece. And then innovation is, uh, you know, I quickly just when I think of innovation or mission innovation, I think it's all about the Holy Spirit. Mm. Tell me more about that. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the most creative being in the universe. And if you want to be innovative or creative, try something new or see something new, uh, it's all about discerning the Spirit and being in step with the Spirit. If you go with the Spirit, then it's going to be all kinds of <laughs> innovation <laughs> happening, right? So that's how I see on. More theologically, I think it's all about uh, discovering where God is at work uh, with the Spirit. Uh, and it's not always easy uh, to discern where the Spirit is. So we, we need ways to learn that. And there's a lot of learning and discovering. And, um, and it has to be communal discernment. So that discernment is a really huge word for me. Hmm. in terms of both uh, innovation, but also in leadership. Uh, the other piece about innovation for me is uh, what uh, somebody calls adaptive challenges. Uh, it comes out of uh, Harvard, actually, uh, leadership school. Uh, and um, Heifetz, Ron Heifetz, wrote a book, a couple of books on this. And adaptive challenge basically is not... Uh, your technical fixes, so, you know, what's the problem? That's a really important question. Uh, the problem can be, you know, something that's, uh, like, fixable quickly, right? And those are technical fixes, and those are important ones. But there are ones that are kind of what I call, you know, under the, uh, the beneath the water of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. You don't see them, mm -hmm. but it's, that's the thing. Mm -hmm. You gotta recognize that's the real much of the reality, and so these are usually the culture, value systems, how you behave, uh, how the organizational be you know organizations behave, and um, and usually it's not easy to even name them. Mm -hmm. So the, mm -hmm. if you want some change in your church, in any organization, in your country you got to name what is underneath the water that's really uh, causing the problem in some ways or are the problems themselves. So, so to me, innovation really gets at not just uh, what's on the surface, but really deep change issues. Wow, I love that. I, I, I don't know if these words are related, but, but it, it, in my mind is connecting the word innovation with intuition, right? Like these intuitive, like deep... Uh, uh, yeah, under the surface realities. 
Yeah, one thing this reminds me of is is at lunch when we were talking, you you said you were suspicious. I'm I'm putting in my own words. Feel free to correct me, but you you sort of said it seemed to me that you're suspicious of anyone who has a big plan. <laughs> so tell me the difference between innovation and the Holy Spirit and a big plan. Yeah, yeah, no, I yeah, I I um I am hesitant. Uh, I am cautious whenever I hear somebody say, "Oh, I have a you know big plan that's going to solve everything or solve your life and follow me," because the way that I see how the spirit is at work is not through big plans and strategies or strategic plans as we know them, um, but really through small steps of faithfulness or obedience. Uh, the Holy Spirit is at work, but because we're not the Spirit, we're not Jesus, we're not God, we don't know what's in the mind of God. So God reveals to us as we are able or open and humble, uh, and uh, innovation or the something new can birth uh, in the Spirit or in the ministry of God's kingdom when God's people are faithfully taking small steps. And so, you know, I, I said, I think earlier, like, all you need to know to be innovative or to really follow the step is, uh, the spirit is, you just need to know what the next thing is. Just the next thing. What's just around the corner, you know, just turning the corner. You don't need like 10 steps. You don't need 10-year or 5-year strategic plan because I, I don't think that works. But you need to know, I mean, you can have a long view vision if God gives you that. And we, a lot of times we need that. But not, uh, you know, all the concrete steps you need to get there. Uh, I think, and I don't know why, but God shows you like one step at a time. Mm. And so, like, I just met you today, Eric. Um, I think God's call is just pay attention to people right in front of you mm. right now. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about like everybody in the world because you, you're not going to get to everybody in the world anyway. But uh, who's right in front of your nose? And somebody, I think it's like, you know, we, um, I see a lot of innovation among people who is just doing just that, uh, who are faithful. A lot of times they don't know that they are innovative or they are like creative or they are just doing something fantastic in, you know. But I, when I observe them enough or know their story, a lot of them will tell me, like, you know, I showed up here. I didn't know what the plan was, but I really felt the call. The Spirit was calling me. And then I did just, you know, whatever I was able to do day after day. And a lot of times these people have stayed long. And, you know, what I call stay put for in, in a place for a long time, you know, faithfully. And after five years, ten years, you know, they look back and say, oh, my gosh, <laughs> what, what happened in the last? And because it's something much bigger and much more beautiful than your own plan. Mm. And, and to me, it's like series of small steps of obedience and faithfulness for a long time. And, uh, and God is at work. And so... That's yeah. That's. Can you connect the dots for me? Because this, in my head, this is connecting to what you something you said earlier. You mentioned group discernment. Can hmm. it that that seems to connect? Hmm. I think a little bit this one step at a time thing hmm. with group discernment. What's yeah, that? I think the the essential part of Christian faith is uh, being part of a community. 
we are never meant to do this thing called life or church by ourselves. So, and God is, God lives in community. Uh, so the group discernment to me is the, one of the most important tasks and callings of leadership of the church in that um, even I don't care how spiritual you are, how many PhDs you have or degrees you got. I, I think what matters is, you know, just really, again, discerning what the spirit is doing amongst you. You know, it doesn't have to be the, the pastor or this spiritual giant in your church or a leader. Actually, God can speak to anyone or through anyone. And the job of a leader is to actually create an environment where people are both uh, invited and there's openness, but also uh, humility to ask God, the spirit amongst you, and say, God, what do you want? What are you up to? And how can we know? Would you show us? And you know, Eric, I think it's every time when we have that kind of posture and create that kind of open, safe environment, I think it's almost 100 percent God speaks. <laughs> God speaks to God's people, and God will let you know. Mm. It's not like you know, hard, hard rocket science. It's like God speaks, and God has been for ages. And so I, to me, so that's you know, group discernment, innovation. I think it's just knowing that as a community uh, and following the in step with the spirit. And then I think that's where, you know, what I would call mission innovation uh, or new thing, new birth would happen. I love that. I, I, as, especially as a leader, I, I hadn't quite made the connection between listening to God and listening to the community, how those are kind of related uh, in the way you described it. Um, I think perhaps oftentimes as leaders, we can, I can be banging my head, against, I'll just speak personally, I can be banging my head against the wall asking God, what should, what should I do hmm. in this community? But you said both, ask God, but you also said, uh, talked about um, how he speaks through every single believer, not just through the leadership, right? And so making that connection it, it, for me is really helpful um, to realize yeah, he, we can we can have that posture of humility and ask our parishioners or our community and discern this as a group, God in community. It's really yeah, cool. yeah, and so word you just began with the listening. I mm -hmm. think that's really the key word uh, in discernment. You know, in this program that we created, uh, it's a actually a process we created called Go Local. We talk about four uh, practices. Uh, those are practice of listening, discerning, we call experimenting, and reflecting. And actually there's one more, adapting. And uh, the, the practice of discernment is so critical uh, in, yeah, in doing ministry general, or in life generally, but I think as a church. Um, if you want to discern the will of God or the, the Spirit of God amongst you, in both in your church and in the wider community where you're situated, the practice of listening is the start. If we don't know how to listen, discernment is not going to happen. And you wouldn't know what steps to take, even experiment with. Uh, so, you know, we, 
I've learned a lot about, you know, in terms of the innovation, the sermon, the action learning uh, praxis is really, a really helpful uh, framework. Uh, it's always action. Actually, you know, did you, I mean, people don't think that listening is not an action, but it is actually very mm. important action that you intentionally listen um, and that listening takes, I think we, I, I'll speak for myself, I, you know, and we, you ask my wife, <laughs> how good of a listener mm-hmm. I am. And, you know, a lot of times, like, she says something, like, you know, I have to say, what did you say? Mm. <laughs> well, I told you three times already. <laughs> we need a lot of learning to listen well. And, you know, it's both, uh, when, when I talk about listening for the sermon of the Spirit, it's actually two-part listening first to God, uh, the Spirit, uh, especially through the Scripture. So God speaks to us uh, in so many different ways, but you know, uh, one of the clearest ways is uh, through the Scripture. So we have this practice called dwelling in the Word, Word of God, dwelling in the text. And so that's one. The other is uh, really listening to the world. So as we listen to God um, through the Scripture, uh, through prayer, uh, through conversations with one another, uh, we also need to learn how to listen to the world and we also have a practice called dwelling in the world you know like the community where we live and um so if if we do that uh, repeatedly with right set of questions um then yeah god god reveals to us you know what we need to hear and what we need to know and what actions that we can take and usually those are small uh, action steps, you know, and it's not huge, humongous, like grandiose uh, program that you're going to, you want everybody to jump in, but it's usually like small uh, baby steps and, hey, let's try this. And, but then it's always important um, to come back and reflect on it. So like, you know, I mean, we have four simple questions. So what did you do? Uh, what went well? What would you do differently next time? Or, you know, in other words, like what didn't go well and, you know, that you would change next time. And then uh, what did you learn? Those four questions are really like simple questions that we, we can use, you know, just about in every, everything that we do in ministry. And then there's a fifth question that we added. And that's like, the question is, where do you think God is at work? Where, where do you sense God in this action? And uh, we call that art, A-R-T, action, reflection, theology work. Mm. And, uh, and action, reflection is, you know, like used everywhere in educational, business, you know, in other settings. But T is something that they never ask, right? Theology, right? So it's really critical to ask that question. Would you sense God in, in all of this? It's not an easy question to answer. But I think if we teach people and if we learn how to answer the question, it's always tentative too, right? So it's not like somebody from the mountaintop and say, hey, there's work God says. I mean, that's another person I just run the other direction to. Like, you know, <laughs> okay, well, you know, uh, sometimes we listen, uh, but, you know, not like, you know, like as if like, you know, you're speaking on behalf of God. But it, in community, and that's why community is so critical that we are all on the same plane, whether you're a pastor or not. If, if, even if you come to church for the first time, even if you don't know Jesus yet, 
but you know you want to be part of this community. And I think we need to listen to everyone from a five-year-old child to like 99-year-old you know, grandpa or grandma. If you are part of the community and say, what is God saying to us as this community? And you know what? Amazing things can happen. If, if, if we can have that kind of environment, spirit will be delighted mm. to talk to us. And then so if we can just listen well to one another, which also is another thing we have to learn because we don't listen to one another well either. So it's this, uh, yeah, but, you know, that got me started, you know, your word about listening. I think mm-hmm. there's so much there. Oh, man. Yeah, I, we could unpack this for a long time. I, I feel like you said this already, but maybe this is a, a practice of me not listening and needing to listen better. But connect the dots for me again to, to what the role of the leader is in these contexts. So the, the whole community comes together. What, what is the job of the leader in this? Yeah, so job of the leader, uh, I think, first of all, would be um, to create an environment. So, you know, like the, like, you know, the gardener, right? So you, or the parents in a family. So uh, do you want your kids to grow up healthy and become a, like really healthy adults? Well, um, creating an environment of, you know, play, rest, uh, fun, uh, but also purpose, meaning, safety, all of those things would actually, I mean, you don't, then you don't have to worry about too much of like you get an A in school or, you know, do that or that. I mean, that person will grow up, your children. And so leader uh, in a church or in an organization is to really think about it's almost an architect of an environment. So you, I think that's, that's really critical. The other thing, job of a leader, I would say in terms of you know doing this kind of discernment is actually leading a discernment so the leader has to be a person of uh, discerning or discernment meaning uh, the task I think the you know when I think of leader uh, of anything if you're now self-aware I don't think it's you're a good leader because um, you know, you have to know who you are, where you're coming from. Everybody has strengths and weaknesses, and we all bring our baggages as well as our gifts. And uh, just to be aware of what you bring to the room or to an, uh, an organization or to a church community, I think is really critical. And then if you are self-aware, then you would actually be aware of what others are bringing. And I think part of that self-awareness to me is to be asking a lot of questions, you know, for you, yourself, but actually for your group that you're leading of what is the spirit doing in your life as well as the, the, the group that you are asked to lead. Uh, so besides those two, you know, one other thing I could mention is um, I think you need to set the table if you're a leader. Uh, table not where you can pontificate you know, your uh, greatest insight that you got from, you know, your study of the Bible or theologians, but actually set a table where, uh, where everybody actually wants to listen to one another, but mostly importantly, uh, listen to the Spirit. So uh, those are some of the leadership, I think, uh, tasks and, and skills that we, we can do if we want to lead a community of this sermon. That's incredibly helpful. So much food for thought already. Um, 
just at our brief chat so far. But I also I also want to ask you about your book. So you co-wrote a book, Joining Jesus. We probably have already been bumping up against some of the themes, um, I'm sure, that are in the book. But tell me a bit about the idea behind the book. We'll start there. Yeah, so the idea behind the book is uh, we want, I wanted to write a book about the stories of God's faithful people that I you know, mentioned earlier, uh, who are, uh, yeah, to me, you know, these are the faithful people of God in the Christian Form Church that I've encountered in my work as Home Missions Director uh, my first five, six years. And uh, I wanted to write this for a couple of reasons. One, you know, for, for the purpose of, like, I wanted to say to the church, like, hey, don't lose hope. Mm. <laughs> Be hopeful uh, in the Christian Reformed Church <laughs> or in your church, where, you know, wherever you are. Tell, sorry, sorry, I just got to j- jump in and ask. Yeah. Tell me why hope is so, you think hope is so important. Yeah, I think that's one of the most most important critical commodity that the church the people of god need today because uh, we hear so many uh, alarming voices in the church and in our society broadly and you know we're living in an age of fear there's a lot of fear going on including the state of the church and the future of the church and i know you know in so many of our churches you know yeah, we, we don't have too many conversions, uh, growth for the you know, last how many years. And, and all the news you hear about is, you know, everything you know, like declining membership. Uh, the young people are leaving the church. You know, we don't have newcomers from the community. Nobody. I mean, people are not coming in droves. We're not having babies, so we're not growing that, that way either. Um, and so there's, I think, a lot of, uh, I don't know, sense of, you know, like we're kind of disappointed. There's a almost even disillusionment. Mm. Uh, we, we don't think there's hope for the church. We just do our thing and, you know, and, and I, I think that's so rampant uh, in the church. And my experience, I think, I think some of that I would, I would agree like, yeah, so I don't want to uh, lighten or dismiss the analysis of that. I, in some ways, we're in crisis. Mm-hmm. That's true. But I don't want that to have the last word or even the first word. Because, you know, hey, everything we talk about in the Bible is where God is God of hope. God is God of resurrection. God is the God of new beginnings. Every day, every single day, God has been doing that. And he's going to do that until Jesus comes back. And so I, I think there's something wrong about um, just having that voice of alarming voice just go too loud. Mm. And uh, I think it's not the voice of hope, but it's a voice of hopelessness or despair. So, I mean, that's why I, I you know, there are enough places and people, uh, ministries and congregations that I have seen and I've encountered in my work. Uh, so I wanted to say, yeah, no, there's enough hope there, uh, not because we're great, but because God is at work. And that gives me hope, and I want people to know that there, there's hope. That's, that's really the, uh, the one, one like desire, prayer, uh, hope that I had uh, for this. The other reason was, you know, actually, these are the places where I call, uh, these are the, what I call under-the-radar people. Meaning, 
people don't know about these people. I mean, there's no like spotlight, you know, there, I mean, these are not your, uh, the latest, uh, the fastest growing church in town stories. Mm. Um, and, and I, a lot of these people that I met are ordinary people uh, who are doing their thing, you know, faithfully for over a long time. And I've seen just God, I've observed uh, God at work in, and when I hear their stories and ministry stories. And they themselves would never say, like, I'm the hero of the story. None of them. But uh, I see them, and to me, they're the heroes of, of faith, and they're the heroes of God's, God's big story. Uh, uh, and they're writing their chapters. They're writing, you know, they're part of the plot. And, uh, and a lot of them are under the radar. No, people don't know. So I wanted to say not only just to the Christian Reformed Church, but actually church in North America. Because, I mean, that whole story of, you know, the crisis and, you know, in fear where we're not, you know, the problem. I mean, all of that is, you know, rampant. And I just, in some very small ways, you know, I wanted to say, hey, in this small denomination called Christian Reformed Church, there's enough stories and evidences of God at work, and I want the world to know, hmm. starting with the Christian Reformed folks, hmm. right? So, uh, and so when we were talking with the publisher, we wanted to make sure that this is not, this is a story of Christian Reformed Church, but we want it to be, you know, broader, have the broader audience uh, to, and so that's why we went actually with a publisher that's not Faith Alive, but, you know, uh, Wiffenstock, who really, you know, we're just so grateful that they were, like, happy to take us and, to, hey, you know, we'll, we'll publish this. That's so cool. I didn't know that. I didn't know you. That, that's, that's a really remarkable uh, way to do that. Um, I, this is kind of a philosophical question that comes to mind, but why do you think that is? Why do you think uh, God tends to move so often at the edges of our church, as you put it? Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I, That's a good um, answer. <laughs> right there. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's one of the reviewers of our book that I think was very helpful. I mean, it was just interesting now to read different reviews mm-hmm. of our book. Mm-hmm. And I learned so much from reading them. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. They're picking on themes. They're like, oh, wow, okay, yeah, that's, that's great. That, uh, and and some, a lot of them is like affirmation. I am really uh, grateful. Okay. One of the reviewers uh, wrote this in reviewing our book that uh, just, you know, actually, you know, answering part of your question you know, why on the edge, uh, at the edges of the church. And, you know, and he thought that, you know, initially, like, those were people outside the church or not really making it to church, not kind of church material, as he puts it. Mm. But he found, I mean, you know, as he read the book, he said uh, those that uh, they are the ones on the margins and those who possibly feel trapped in their everydayness in which Jesus takes up residence. I like that. And it's those kind of people that God is using to be salt and light of the world. And I'm quoting some of what he wrote. And he quotes this, you know, uh, famous passage in the scripture where Paul says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called, right? And then it's not the wise, it's not the influential, it's not the noble birth, right? But it's the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's, 
there's a lot of, I, I really liked, I mean, we, we didn't pick that verse in the book. You, didn't, you won't find it. But when I think he picked that out, I thought, yeah, I, I, I think that's so much of what I was like intuitively sensing that these people are not like your typical normal church people or like, you know, we know church, we do church the way that we always, I mean, everybody knows, but these are people who actually went actually a little bit out on the edges of the church. And, you know, I think he also, this guy talks about, you know, I mean, these are not only edges of the church, but edges of the society, some of these stories. And, uh, yeah, I don't know why God, God's way is that way, but I, I think that's so cool. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's very encouraging. And so we wanted to put the title uh, in the title Ordinary People uh, because... Actually, most of us, if not all of us, are ordinary. I think it's a lie if, you know, I think if I'm extraordinary. I mean, God is that. And, you know, God makes us give us moments where things are extraordinary. Uh, and so I am ordinary. You are ordinary. I mean, a bunch of us are in the church. And I wanted to, you know, remind people. I think people that know this uh, because of the scripture passage like this, that God can take a dirt out of earth and make something not only beautiful, but amazing. Mm. You know, uh, life comes out of dirt and life comes out of death. Mm. Um, and that's the, you know, that's the, the miracle of the message of Jesus. And if you followed this Jesus, um, that's what God does all the time, every time. That's the normal operational, you know, way of life. And so, yeah, so ordinary at the edges of the church. Um, and I, again, you know, just connecting that to the, the theme of hope. Mm -hmm. I, I, I hope that, you know, reading these stories, that people will find themselves in the story and mm -hmm. identify, hey, you know, if these people can do that, um, I think I I think we're up for this, you know, as a, as this small church, and I mean you'll find actually a lot of unexpected kind of people, you know, and uh, I mean you know the one story in the first chapter in Philadelphia is uh, this guy named um, uh, Mario Pagan. That's his last name, and he's uh, part of this uh, small church called Eighth uh, Community Church. And uh, he, he grew up in that neighborhood, just very, you know, uh, North Philadelphia is one of the poorest, you know, cities in, in the whole country, in, in the United States. And, uh, you know, I mean, he grew up in a neighborhood and a home. I mean, he knows this place, you know, they're selling drugs and making drugs, you know, drug house. And that, that drug house actually became a church community hmm. and where the church meets today. Wow. And he became an elder of that church. And, and uh, I mean, now Mario and the pastor of the church, Andy Kim, um, they actually started this thing called Vocaccio, which is a vocational school for high school kids in the neighborhood because they never make it, you know, through high school. And so they thought, okay, well, we get, you know, we can teach them some skills and so that, you know, for their life. 
And now Mario is one of the most respected teacher in that school because wow. he knows better than anybody else like how those kids are and what they need. And I, I, to me, like, you know, that's like whoever thought Mario is going to be <laughs> this elder evangelist uh, and a teacher in a, in a vocational school in North Philadelphia. Only God knew. But then uh, that all happened because you know, Andy showed up and just, you know, and the originally our uh, working title was Go Local and Stay Put. Mm. And I, that's exactly what they did. You know, they went Go Local and uh, they stay put for a long time. And it was, one, I mean, if you meet both Andy and Mario, they're the most unassuming, humble, like uh, not together kind of folks. They like, they're, you know, all over the map. But to me, you know, uh, Eric, they are the signs of God's kingdom on earth. Mm. I see them and God, I say kingdom of God is right here. Wow. That's so wonderful. I was, I was specifically going to ask for an example of, uh, from your book of, of hope on the edges. And that, that is a tremendous one. Thank you for sharing that. I, I only have one more question here for you. And it's, it's uh, simply just, well, let me think here. No, actually, I just I would just like to leave the last word to you. I wonder if there's something that uh, you'd like to share that uh, we haven't touched on or something that you, you're kind of ruminating on through the course of this conversation that you kind of want to leave our listeners with. Uh, you'd like to gift uh, to these listeners, um, many of whom are from the Christian Reformed Church, but not all. Um, same, as, same as your book, actually. The, the hope of the podcast was to be a specific storytelling podcast from the Christian Reformed Church, um, but that would reach, reach others. So, yeah, I wonder if you have a word for them you'd like to leave. Yeah, actually, I'm going to, uh, I'll use one of the questions I was asked of uh, me and Chris uh, in one of the uh, interviews for uh, an article. And the question at the end was this question, what might congregation need to let go or mm. agree to let go if they want to be in living into this, you know, what we call look 10 vision uh, of going local and staying put? And uh, simply, I think our response to the question was uh, to, first of all, let go of anxiety, uh, anxiety about your future. <laughs> Uh, I think that could apply for your uh, personal life as well, but I mean, especially the future of your church. Um, God's work is slow. Uh, you, ha you have to trust that God is already at work um, in changes around you. So don't be afraid of all the changes. I mean, you know, you have enough people to tell you, but you all also know they're massive changes all around us, uh, globally, locally, you know, denominationally, congregationally, your life, your children. Uh, so in this moment of change and massive change and shifts, uh, you know, don't be, don't be anxious. Uh, let go of the fear that you have uh, because I think you can trust God. We can. And I think in that space, you know, rather... I think we need to encourage one another by, yeah, by just, you know, thinking about small, simple things. So that's one. Uh, the other is, I think it has to do with, I think the anxiety a lot of times come, comes from um, this notion of, hey, we're not growing the church. So, you know, so stop comparing your church to the next, you know, 
you know, fastest growing church in town. Uh, that's not helpful. Actually, God would not be, <laughs> I mean, you're like, don't do that. I mean, just, you know, t you know, the parable talents. We don't need to compare our one, one, if I have one talent, you know, just be grateful and do something with it, you know, as God calls mm -hmm. you to do. Uh, mm -hmm. There's plenty of things that, you know, you can do with one talent. So um, I, I want to say, you know, to every church, no matter what size, where you are, just, can you just, you know, say like, we're okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're okay. And, um, but then, yeah, it, it rather, you know, like, but it's not just like complacent or just be comfortable. I think that's the, the farthest thing, you know, that I would want myself or anybody want to do. But I think, as you say, yeah, we're okay uh, to recognize and notice what is in front of us. And uh, whether you have 50 people, you have 500 people, 5,000 people, I don't care. But whatever you got is what God has given you. So just be thankful. And I think saying yes to small things first. And don't worry about big things mm. or, you know, 10 next steps. Uh, like I said earlier, um, and I think that's going to build trust in yourselves as a community. And I think if the neighbors and the community notice you that you're just at peace, you're okay with yourself, and, and more than that, you're expectant uh, because you want to notice what God is doing among you, uh, then I think, you know, the joy or the pleasure, uh, I think that's when, when those things come. And I think it's, you know, in, in throughout the book, you know, I mean, this one uh, person who recommended our book said, you know, the place matters. That's the, the summary of this whole book. Uh, you know, it's actually Brian Walsh, uh, uh, one of the retired uh, campus ministry chaplain, I mean, who is also author. And I, I really, I think he got, you know, really pointing out really what we were thinking a lot about. And that is, you know, take pleasure in the people and the place where you are placed. Mm. I think that's the place mm -hmm. to begin. And so don't worry about this, you know, everybody else or, you know, the, especially comparing yourself and just kind of feeling defeated. But uh, embrace the people and the place where God has placed you. And uh, God has, it's not that, you know, the, the you know, Campus Crusade line, you know, God has wonderful plans for your life. I think that's so true. Mm -hmm. God is so, I think God wants everyone to flourish uh, that he has created. And so including us. So in the church, whether no matter what size, um, I think God has given you everything you need mm -hmm. uh, to uh, follow the will of God, to see the kingdom come in your place. And uh, if we are attentive, I think that's really important practice. We be at, you know, pay attention to what's in front of you and embrace and take pleasure and then I don't think we need to worry too much about everything else. Then And then expect the Spirit, because Spirit is at work. And once God shows you one step, one small thing at a time, then just do that. And I think, and I think that's going to take a lot of our... Uh, I think we'll be relieved. Mm. I think that's going to take a lot of our anxiety away. Mm. And uh, so if we can start every council meeting, every worship service every one-on-one -on -one conversations about the church to say, just, you know, say a lot of gratitude, which is in our, in our catechism. Mm, yes, yeah, <laughs> you know, Thankfulness, right? And, and we, we got that in theology, but, 
you know, let's live that out. Mm. And um, then, and then, you know, not worry about too much after mm-hmm. that. I think, and then I think again, then seeing God at work, uh, discerning and discovering, and then stepping in. Um, and you do that until like Jesus says, like, okay, I'm going to take you in, you know, then I think, <laughs> I think they will be all happy campers. Mm. Wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. Such a such a uh, lovely chance to get to know you a little bit better, to chat, to hear about your book, but also hear about the practice that is behind the book. And um, I just think it's, yeah, this is such a gift to our churches. So, yeah, just want to say on behalf of me, but also on behalf of all the listeners, thank you so much for sharing, Moses. And uh, I hope I get the chance to talk to you again. All right. Thanks, Eric. show today, you heard Moses Chung and his passion for the missions that are happening in the Christian Reformed Church right in all of our own backyards. I hope it was a blessing to you. It was certainly a blessing to me. For all your other One Life needs, including events, links, and information, you can find them at crconelife.ca. And if you have any feedback at all, or want to get in touch, or if you know someone who would be a great guest for a future One Life podcast episode, please email me at podcast at crconelife.ca. Thanks for listening. To lay down all our burdens, we can lay